0: We're talking about transformation today. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's total transformation of your life and even your whole being. The Greek word here for transform is metamorpho. Does that sound like any English word we know? Metamorpho. Yes, you got it. Metamorphosis. And we know of the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly. And I believe that makes a wonderful allegory of our transformation in Christ. Romans 12.2 And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There are pressures in this world that would conform us, it's almost like it can feel a heavy weight pressing you into a mold, pressing you into that shape that this fallen world wants you to be. And it can even make you feel like a worm. In our hearts we yearn to ascend to heavenly places, but we're stuck here, pressed down into the earth like a worm. Thank God that Jesus came down to our level. He came down from heaven to this earth. And became like a worm, like one of us. And it's in the scriptures. On the cross, Jesus cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here, he's highlighting Psalm 122. He quoted the opening verse. And you know, on the cross, one of the effects on the human body is it there's cramping of the muscles, of the diaphragm, and it becomes more and more difficult for the, for the person to be able to breathe. So if we look carefully at the scriptures, Jesus says short little things, short little blurbs, maybe you could call them. And maybe physically, that's all a human body could do at that point, would be to, to, to quote the opening of Psalm 22, and he's, he's, he's pointing us to that. So I'll continue reading. The psalm goes on to say, I am a worm, and no man are reproach of men and despised of the people. So Jesus was like a worm on the cross. He died. And they put his body in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead with a glorious body. He wasn't a worm anymore. His body was glorified, and a person might think that he was only a spirit without a physical body, but Jesus made sure that they understood. He appeared to them and said, Behold, my hands and my feet, that, is, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. And then he asked for food and ate in front of them. This is good news. It means that all of you can be transformed. Your, your spirit, your soul, your mind. Even your physical body. Everything can be changed. Your whole being and your whole life by faith in Jesus Christ. So I'll get back to the allegory of a worm or a caterpillar crawling along in the dirt. That's its lot in life to be a lowly worm. But then one day it makes for itself a chrysalis. And it looks dead. Doesn't a cocoon or a chrysalis even look like a tiny coffin that's what it looks like to me it doesn't look alive but then one day it emerges from the chrysalis as a butterfly a beautiful new creature that can fly butterflies fly and they're even carried by wind currents across whole continents and across oceans God wants to take you places too By the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and faith in Him, God wants to take you to places beyond your dreams. And how does this happen? It's important to know because many religious people long for transformation but never find it. How does it happen? It's a work of faith for us. God does the real work. We can't transform ourselves so He has to do it. It happens when we have faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. Romans twelve one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And notice that Paul beseeches us. He doesn't command us, though he could. It's as right as an apostle to command us, but he doesn't. Instead, He gently leads us. It's Christ leading us through the Apostle. God is asking us to do something. Could God command us? Could God force us to do something? If God wanted to force me to do something, who could stop Him? But He doesn't force us to to do anything. He doesn't force heathens to be saved. And then after we're born again, He doesn't force His children to do His will. Paul calls us his brothers. So we can see that he's not talking to the heathen. He's addressing us, the people of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's asking us to do something because of the mercy that God has poured out upon us. At one time we were all going to hell. Those of us who are saved, it's by the mercies of God. There was no hope for us. So Jesus took our punishment. They whipped him until his flesh was hanging in ribbons, and then they nailed him to a cross. He did that for me. So now, when he asks me to please do something, what am I going to say? No? And what he asks us isn't a huge thing. It's simple and reasonable. The verse calls it our reasonable service, and if we do it, there's a great reward. We'll be working together with God in His program for our total transformation. God does the real work while we have a work of faith. When Paul asks us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, he's referring to the priesthood of every believer. The Bible teaches that every Christian is a priest. It's not only the pastors or ministers or elders. Every Christian is a priest. And Paul is referencing the Old Testament law. In his day, there was a recent change from from the law covenant to to the new covenant, and there was by necessity a change in the priesthood. So Paul is using Old Testament principles to explain Christian service under the new priesthood. Under the old priesthood, the dead bodies of animals were offered to God upon an altar. Under the new priesthood, we offer our own living bodies. And since our bodies are living, they have the spirit and the soul in them. In other words, we offer our whole being, to God, as a sacrifice. The Old Testament principle is that the offering must be perfect and without blemish. Leviticus 22, verse 21. And whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a free will offering in beaves of sheep, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Is the sacrifice you're bringing to God perfect and acceptable to Him? Is your heart perfect? Is the way that you've been living your life pleasing to God? In the Old Testament law, there are basically Two kinds of sacrifices. Sacrifices of atonement and sacrifices of acknowledgement. Under the new covenant there's one sacrifice of atonement forever and for all time. Jesus Christ. And thank God that His sacrifice was perfect in every way. That means if you believe in Christ you're saved. Your name is written in the book of life. That means that you're going to heaven. But there remains for us Sacrifices of Acknowledgement. Matthew Henry put it this way. There were sacrifices of atonement and sacrifices of acknowledgement. Christ, who was once offered to bear the sins of many, is the only sacrifice of atonement. But our persons and performances tended to God through Christ our priest are as sacrifices of acknowledgement to the honor of God. How you live your life does matter. God can use that to transform you. If you're transformed, it's by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Specifically, it's you choosing to have faith in the gospel that will continually renew your mind. And it has to be the real gospel, God's gospel, and not some counterfeit gospel that a man made up God tells us in his word not to turn to the right or the left often when God shows us what to do man invents two other paths God says go straight man says go to the right or go to the left and I believe it's true in this case on the one side there's the false gospel of hyper grace they say Jesus died for us so our actions don't matter We can sin as much as we want, they claim. On the other side is a false gospel of salvation by works. One of them says, when he came to Christ he was saved, but then the first time he sinned, he thinks that he's not saved anymore. So he thinks he has to keep running back to some sort of religious ritual, and he lives in constant fear. What if he sins and then dies before he has a chance to do that ritual? Both of these supposed gospels are false The truth is that when you come to Christ, your name is written in the book of life. The devil hates that, but there's nothing he can do about it. When you die, you are going to heaven. The scripture tells us what will happen. When you die, the angels will carry you to heaven. God will instruct them to look in the book of life. Your name is there so you have eternal life. Let's say that you sinned the afternoon before you died. You're still going to heaven because that sin is under christ's atoning sacrifice someone might ask then why does it matter if i sin it matters because there's other forms of sacrifice there are sacrifices of acknowledgement for example i want to be able to praise god i want to thank him for all the mighty things he's done i want to sing his praises and have my songs rise to his throne and be pleasing to him i want to be a witness and an evangelist i want to tell other people about jesus and bring god glory I want to be able to teach God's Word and do other things, working in the ministry, and having this sacrifice be pleasing and acceptable to God. But is it? I'm not a perfect man. I make no claims about being sinless. Is my sacrifice acceptable then? Yes, because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And yet, in Old Testament times, a priest couldn't offer up a lamb with a broken leg. What about a lamb that was barely alive, but in the process of dying from some terrible, rotting disease? Could he bring that to the altar? No, of course not, But because he could obviously see that the lamb was blemished. Back then, they didn't do an extensive scientific analysis the way that we might today. They didn't want the lamb to have any broken bones, but they didn't have x-rays. They didn't have that ability. They didn't do blood work and look for antibodies as a clue that the lamb might be diseased. Again, they couldn't do that. God wasn't asking them to. God told them to look at the lamb or other animal for any blemish they could see. And this principle applies to our sacrifices today. When you're approaching the altar, does God show you a blemish? Matthew five, twenty-three. Therefore, If thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remember that thy brother has aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come, and offer thy gift. Our responsibility extends to what we can see. As we grow in Christ, we attain greater vision, and with it comes responsibility. Jesus taught that to whoever much is given, much is required. So if you want it, you have access to God's transformation. Remember, God is pleading with us through the Apostle Paul. I beseech you therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When you really yearn for God's holiness because you want to please Him, He'll give it to you. It's not out of fear that you're going to hell. You know that your name is written in heaven. You don't have to, you want to. These are things that we get to do. There's a freedom in Christ. In our old caterpillar lives, we could never get there, but now we're transformed. And a whole new way of life opens up for us in Jesus Christ. Amen.